Good morning. Today I will continue with the Advent sermon series, The Days Are Coming for the Good News in Tough Times. The Advent season is all about waiting expectantly for something greater, certain, and everlasting. And we are anticipating remembering the arrival of Jesus, the reason for Christmas. Last week, I shared with you how in my household, a way to understand what waiting expectantly may look like, I shared how my husband David, we were hoping that this would be the year that he would put the outside Christmas exterior lights around the house. Take a look. He proved his point. He did do it this year, but I think it was to make a point against me. Advent 2020 is also maybe like waiting, and I think many of us can resonate to this example. Advent 2020 is like waiting for the vaccine for COVID-19. I mean, we have been waiting, and I know that it's not certain, but it definitely, we expect it to be an incredible milestone towards a a better pathway forward. Um, For some of us, we're hoping for something that feels more normal and more familiar. And there's many people who have been saying that if Dr. Fauci says it's okay and we see the man take the shot, we're going to take that vaccine, the antidote. No matter the side effects, which I think we don't know yet how that's gonna unfold, Isn't it true that if we see that particular doctor take it, then it's going to give you and me the reassurance that it's going to be okay? Advent for a six-year-old, or at least for my six-year-old, Elena, is like waiting for something grand at some point in life, even though she may not have a clue exactly of how it's going to unfold. Just earlier this week, She asked me, what comes after kindergarten? Very excited. I said, first grade, number one. And her her facial expressions uh, changed, a bit disappointed. And she said, what do you mean one? I thought I was going to big school. And I said, yes, you're going to big school. She thought big school was the same as college, which we talk often a lot about. So I said, oh, no, you have quite a few years. You have number one, two, three, four. And then I kept counting all the way to 12. And then she said, and then? And then I said, then you go to college. And she was disappointed, seems too long. And then she asked, and then what do I do? And then I said, then you work. Very disappointed. She said, "Um, how long do I have to work? I don't want to work. And I said, well, the days are coming. There's going to be a whole lot of work ahead. I didn't say that, but I, thought, I did think the days are coming, right? What a disappointment, I guess, for, for her. But Advent, think about it that way. There are risks involved in waiting and expecting. There's also a need for that self-discipline and that commitment that we are to make to stay the course, to make it meaningful, to achieve life goals, to make this life fulfilling. So with that in mind, I invite you today to read with me 
what we would consider traditionally a Christmas story. Luke chapter 1, the birth, the foretelling of the birth of Jesus. So typically there are certain stories that are read only once a year, a Christmas story. So I value that kind of tradition. I hope that we don't just glaze over. I know it's familiar, but perhaps when you read it carefully with me and you are expecting for maybe a verse or a phrase to capture your attention, I really do think it's possible to always get something afresh and anew. So let us read Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, starting with verse 26 through verse 38, and it reads like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 36, And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Focal point for us today, let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. God, let it be with me. And you would say, let it be with you according to God's word. And that's the takeaway for today's message. So here's a question. What is harder for you? Is it to trust, to truly trust that nothing is impossible with God? Or is it harder for you to trust yourself with your decision to say to God, let it be according to your plan. Both are hard. Both are needed. One affirms the other, in fact. But to make a point of where you are in your spiritual life, just so you know exactly, I hope, or in a better way, what we are to seek and how we are to grow, I ask you, which one do you tend to struggle with? More of the younger generation is believed, based on what has been observed and, and surveying with people, some of the younger generation are having a struggle with believing with the, um, and having that relevance, having God be truly relevant to their life today. And if that's the case, 
then you can imagine and understand, although I may not agree, but we can understand then why there would not be a conviction of believing that nothing is impossible with God if he's not even relevant to their life. That may be the struggle for a person. It is believed that persons of older generations, of generations who were raised um, obviously coming to church every Sunday and Sunday school, that it's the, the second part that comes to be more of a struggle. So of course I believe there's a higher power. Of course I believe there's a divine being that I call God, a triune God. Yes, that is said. What I may struggle with, or some of the older demographic may say is, it's with that second part, the dynamic, the all-changing reality of what it looks like to say to God, let it be so. Because often that requires changes of things that I, am, I haven't had to change for 30, for 20 years, whatever it may be both ways. It's a reality that we have to deal with. So why is it so hard to trust, to really trust in God's fairness and will and power? Because it is risky. Because it is counterintuitive. And I'm going to use this story as an example of that. Think about for Elizabeth, after many years. She was of old age. Think of all the, the risk and um, the embarrassment, the, the, the mockery, the gossip, the murmuring around, the discouragement that she must have felt when she was much younger and healthier. She and Zechariah, her husband, they prayed for many years to be pregnant, to have a child. And it came at an age of somewhere around 60 or 70 years old. Doesn't it make you wonder, was it that blessing, was it all worth the burden of so many years of distress? Can you actually imagine, don't you think people were like, give it up. It's not going to happen. You're 50 years old. Think about the risk and the life-threatening dangers that Mary endured after she received the announcement, after the miracles began to take place in her life, in her womb. Imagine what it was like for Joseph and all that they had to endure, the possibility of death, the possibility, excuse me, the actuality of persecution. Don't you think that at some point she said, I did not sign up for this. It takes a lot of risk. It takes a lot of faith and surrender. They risked a lot. The risks are scary because most people, most of us in some way or another are concerned um, and it's troubling to imagine and to think what will people think of what we are going to do or going to say. Too old, too young, not the right person for the job, not um, attractive enough, not like her, not like him. I'm at the bottom of the food chain. 
Or how about if I'm too Christ-like and I'm going to live out the Beatitudes, for example, I'm going to be thought as a pushover. I'm not going to have enough um, uh, popularity. I may be misunderstood as weak. Somehow, we're constantly concerned of what others may think of us. When the process of life gets hard, because it always does, what will people say when you experience setbacks? When I experience setbacks, when my great idea, when my incredible thought-out plan and worked at it so hard, in the end, it doesn't work out. And always on hindsight, you can always see how we could have done it better. What if we fail? It's so much at risk. What are they going to think? Who am I going to cost their work or, or their well-being? Will it be blamed on us, the foolishness that we're going to feel, the sense of irresponsibility even? There is a risk in pushing aside, as I think you can tell, pushing aside our own preferences. And there is a risk that we feel and don't like when our ego is confronted. And one of the main tools where our ego can, is always confronted is when we use the scripture as the mirror. As a mirror that if you are vulnerable and open and humble enough, you are to see yourself in the story. In this particular story, how close or how far can you relate to Mary? perplexed, but in the end she said, let it be. That's the takeaway for today. What about imagine yourself as you're growing in your faith to be able to say, let it be God according to your word, not according to my perplexed, troubling thoughts. How will we know that it's going to work out? A hundred percent, I can't tell you we'll know. Is it worth the trouble? That's the question. Is it worth the embarrassment? Do we just say, let it be? Which when I just think of that phrase, let it be, I can imagine maybe you also thought of a song. Yes, I also thought of the song, Let It Be by Paul McCartney. So sure enough, I wanted to say, I will say something about that. So Paul McCartney, one of the Beatles, he wrote the song, Let It Be. Please know that he wrote the song in, as an inspiration of what he has said. He dreamt, he remembered his mother, whose name happened to be Mary. And he was going through a difficult time, part of the band, the Beatles. And unexpectedly and in a very private and ordinary way, he talks about a dream and he remembers how his mother, Mother Mary, said to him in the dream, let it be. And out of that ordinary experience births this classic, amazing song. And I will go ahead and say a few of those words. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. 
That sounds like Luke chapter 1, verse 36 and 37, doesn't it? That's, the, in a sense, a modern version of Mary. Mary's experience, so unique. Elizabeth's experience, unique. Your experience, unique. All of our experiences are unique to us. But you're not alone. You're not the only one experiencing such struggling with the faith and trust and assurance. You're not alone. We are not alone. In fact, it is said that with God, ultimately, all things work out for good. So life is perplexing, yes, and it is risky, yes. We are to inform our faith. That's the purpose of hearing a message week after week. The message is the same. But there's value in exploring it directly using the word. So I am not, I do not believe that faith is about, uh, should be founded or grounded in being gullible or, or the other extreme that it has to be certain. That is wrong. It is wrong to think that we are to detach ourselves from reality. That is wrong too. There is a huge contrast and, and distance between life's impossibilities to God's power and ability and how we can close the gap, hear the good news for the tough times. The first act is not done by you. It's done by Jesus Christ who became flesh to be with you and make things possible with us. The second act involves your self-discipline and your willingness to let it be with God. Inform our faith. Make it relevant today. That's why it's important to know the examples of what Jesus did. Jesus calmed the storms. Jesus walked on water. Jesus healed the blind. Jesus um, healed many people of different diseases. Jesus looked at death square in the eye and had Lazarus, Lazarus, his friend, rise again, resurrect. Jesus forgave sins. Jesus changed hearts. Jesus changes hearts. Jesus forgives your sins. Do you know him? Jesus has come for you, for all of us. What we are to do in this lifetime is prepare the way for the Lord to do what only God can do. Will you say, let it be with God? As we transition into the time of receiving communion, ordinary elements, may that be the spiritual food that you need today. May you come to Jesus Christ with an open heart, May you confess perhaps your hesitation, your lack of faith. Um, bring all that skepticism to the table. Bring yourself to the table because God has become flesh to be with you. God bless you.